morning, everybody. If you would, um, open your Bibles to verse John 2. It's on page 1,210. That's 1210 of the Black Pew Bible. Our scripture, writing to, scripture reading today is 1 John 2, uh, verses 3 through 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John, the text that Chase read for us. That's our teaching text this morning. 1 John, we're walking through this book verse by verse. Blake has been teaching the last two weeks. And so we are in chapter 2, verse 3. We're at, it's, it's worship day and we're at church. Where else would you rather be? And we're all here because we need to be here. Some of you are here because you come every week because you recognize a need in your life to be here. Maybe some of you are going through difficult times in your life. Maybe it's a cancer diagnosis, marriage trouble, kid trouble, life trouble, money trouble, just trouble. And you're here, but that's why we're all here, because we're needy people. We're not here because we have it all together and got it all figured out. We have all our ducks in a row. We're here because we don't, uh, pastor included. We need to we need to pray. We need to confess sin. We need to read the scriptures. We need to study. We need to sing truth. All of these things we're doing, we need. Uh, each and every one of us need that today. But I'm glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, we're really glad you're here. We. We trust God's providence that He brought you here for a reason. So we're in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. See if this sounds familiar to any of you. Um, a young man repents and believes, and he's overwhelmed by the grace of God. He, he has a desire now to read and to draw near to God in prayer, and the Lord gives him uh, grace so much so that some of his sinful desires, such as lust, pornography, he, this seems to dissipate so much that it's repulsive to him. He seems to have victory, and it's a season of grace and mercy and joy. But after a time, it's not that the newness wears off, but it seems like old sin habits have creeped back in, and he battles and he battles, but he begins to question whether he's any more faithful now than he was before he trusted Christ. Or here's another scenario that may sound familiar to you. You're a young lady. You came to faith and you're able to find security in Christ. and You're able to take your thoughts captive at first. Lived a life of victory. Finding your identity in who Christ is. But after a while, your old insecurities, your vanity begins to be a struggle again. And You've been able to bite your tongue and resist arguments with your younger siblings but now you find yourself quarreling with them often and you wonder if you're even born again or not. Well, in the, this first letter, the first epistle, John, this apostle is going to give us some tests. And what's going to happen, he gives us these tests and he circles back in, in, a, in a different way. He puts it in a different uh, vernacular, a different way of saying it, but he's going to come back to these three tests over and over and over again through this letter. 
First is going to be the commandment test we're going to look at today, and then there's a companion test and a theological test. And we've already, to some degree, looked at a, had a theological test. If you remember in chapter 1, verse 1, it says that Jesus is eternal. He says, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. And John, the apostle, says, and, and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. John, the apostle, saying, look, the eternal God took on flesh and I've seen them. And not only have I seen them, I've touched them, I've heard them, and the things that I've heard and touched and, and, and experienced, I'm going to share with you. And so that's what he's done in his gospel, but also in he, these epistles. Jesus is the God-man. He is eternal, but he is also light. He is not the light. He's not a light. He is light in and of himself. See, the Father provided the Son to be a propitiation for sinners. And for those who repent and trust Jesus and the work He did on the cross on their behalf will be forgiven and this Jesus will become their advocate. This is true, this is true for those in John's day, those He's writing to, those that's going to come after. But also it's true for those who are Jew and Gentile. So what John is doing here is he's trying to encourage the churches in and around Ephesus trying to encourage the believers in those churches to know that they're saved, to have assurance of their salvation. Christ has died on behalf of sinners. He's made atonement for sin. So how can these sinners who've been forgiven, who are part of the church, have assurance of their salvation? Well, today, in verse 3 through 6, he's going to give these believers a commandment test, also called the morality test and he's going to give a positive example meaning this is how you can have assurance and then he's going to give a negative example meaning this type of person can't have assurance and assurance is important if you're a believer it's important to know that you are a believer there's a hymn that we sang growing up blessed assurance Jesus is mine you know that that's your head going oh, I don't like that song what's the next line when we say Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. What's next? Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, it's like heaven to know that, to have assurance of our salvation. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. It's like heaven. It's a wonderful thing to not only have salvation, but be a, have assurance of your salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul writing to the Corinthian church, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Assurance is important. Why else would Paul be commanding these believers to examine themselves? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. How are you to make certain that you are called, that you are elected, that you're a believer? Well, look at your life. If you look at the previous verses in chapter 1 of Second Peter, 
Do you see virtue? Do you see moral excellence? Do you see knowledge, self-control? Do you see perseverance in your life? Do you see godliness? Do you see brotherly affection? Do you love like God loves? And we can have assurance of our salvation. Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. God said that. And we can trust Him. All who call upon the Lord will be saved. In John 3, 16, right? A very familiar passage. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God said... Jesus came and whoever believes in Him, meaning whoever believes and trusts that the work He did on the cross, the cross, the resurrection, all of that was for them, they'll have eternal life. Yet God said that. We can have assurance. There's a several different aspects of this assurance. Let me run through this before we get to our text. It's kind of like this um, intellectual assurance, if you will, cognitive assurance, uh, rational assurance. God said it, so it must be so. We have other verses. It says, if, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God said that. So I know God keeps His Word. His promises are true. So I know that is a fact. I've confessed my sin. I've repented. I've trusted the work Christ did on the cross as my own. We can have assurance. We can also have assurance because the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. This is the experiential assurance, if you will. Romans chapter 8. Verse 15 and 16, Paul writes, For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, for whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We can have assurance because the Holy Spirit that seals us, lives in us, bears witness with our spirit. And that word bears witness means assurance. So what do we do in our, in our daily lives? We cry, Abba, Father. Now, what's that mean? We, we, we cry our, our dependence. We recognize our spiritual bankruptcy without God. We recognize our dependence on Him, so we cry out to God. Think about another hymn. I need Thee. Oh, I need Thee. Every hour, I need Thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to Thee. That's crying out, Abba, Father. You sing that song of the Lord. And lastly, thirdly, there's another aspect of assurance or another element to assurance, and that's this obedience test, this morality test, the commandment test that we have we're looking at today. It's behavioral assurance. Brian's a mailman. I know he's a mailman. He knows he's a mailman. How do we know that? Because Monday through Friday, sometimes Monday through Saturday, you go down in Drummond's, you're going to see that. It used to be a blue Jeep, now it's a white postal van, which he's excited about because it has air conditioner. You can see him delivering the mail. Yeah, he's a mailman because that's what he does. So there's an aspect, this behavioral aspect. Are you a Christian? Well, do you live like a Christian? 
Do you obey the Lord? So two points from our text. We're looking at verses 3 through 6. The first text, the first point is the person whose life is characterized by obedience can have assurance of their salvation. And he says, And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. And by this we know. It's used twice in these four verses. Again, it's about assurance. The person who keeps God's commands can have assurance. What does it mean to know? To know what? To know that we're a believer. To have this knowledge of God. You have soldiers who go to war. And they may come back and they say to their family, when they're having difficulty, you just don't know what it's like. What do they mean? When a soldier comes home, you just don't know what it's like. You just don't know what I've been through. What do, what do they mean by that? They mean there's the knowledge that they have that comes from experience. So when we say we know God, it's an experiential thing. Can you know God? Not just know about God, but can you know God? Can you have that experience? Experiencing who He is. And I say, yes. Now let me clarify something. What, what John is not saying here, he's not teaching salvation by works or salvation by obedience. We don't know God by obeying Him. It's not what he's saying. Nor is he even saying that, that we uh, have assurance by obedience. What I mean by that, James, is I go to church. I'm a good person. I read my Bible. I pray, so I must be a Christian. That's not what John is saying. But John is teaching that salvation is evidence, is substantiated by obedience. What happens then is that obedience contributes to our assurance. So the scenarios that I mentioned in the very opening words, we have these thoughts. We live a certain way. We struggle, da, 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 you know, because we all, it's, we, we struggle at times. We don't love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We don't love our neighbor as ourselves all the time. And so when we sin and we don't live up to God's standard, sometimes we have these thoughts of maybe I'm not a believer. And that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes we're living in sin. There's conviction. You should think, maybe I'm not a believer. If you're not living like it. The false teachers that Paul said would arise there in Ephesus have done so. We've read this in Acts chapter 20. The last time he saw the, the elders of the church in Ephesus, he said, fierce wolves are going to rise up from among you, so be on your guard. These false teachers, these wolves, are Gnostics who supposed uh, that you had this knowledge. They had this knowledge that made them superior. They were enlightened. And because of this knowledge, they had this special relationship with God that other people didn't have. And part of this knowledge was that they're not responsible for the way they live because their spirits are living in a corruptible body, a, a, a shell, a body that's evil. So it just really doesn't matter how you live. It's like all this 
physical stuff doesn't, doesn't matter. But knowledge of God isn't valid if there aren't moral consequences. Because our God is a moral God, you know? These false teachers taught that one can have fellowship with God or know God but live immorally. But let's think about the experience we've had as believers, those of us who are born again. We've had our eyes open to our depravity and God's goodness and our spiritual bankrupt selves have abandoned the idea that we can fix our problems or satisfy the wrath that we deserve. We've turned from trying to appease God on our own and stopped running from Him and trusted what Jesus did for us. And as a result of that, we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And the deposit of the Spirit results in our lives being changed. We've been transformed. We're not who we used to be. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The best ways that I know that I have come to know Christ, that I've experienced Him intimately, that I know Him, is by the fact that I'm willing to obey His commandments. I'm not only willing, but I feel a responsibility in my heart to obey the Lord. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. What's different about him? He's, he's new. And if you study the new covenant, in the old covenant, we're told to expect a, the new covenant believer to have a brand new heart. Ezekiel chapter 36, this prophet teaches in verses 24 through 27, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Speaking of Israel, and I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be cleansed from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. This is new covenant language, right? This didn't happen in the old covenant. This is new covenant. Once Jesus came, the Spirit's going to come. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk, notice, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. New covenant believer. New covenant believers, they obey the Lord because they have the spirit of God and they are a new creature that motivates us with a will to obey the Lord Jesus. In fact, as Christians, we have to work at not wanting to obey the Lord. No, we want to obey. He's given us a new heart. I've been changed because of this salvation process. So there's something inside us as believers that compels us to want to obey. It is the Spirit of God. It's a brand new heart that God has given us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That will is desire. He changes our desire. He changes our want to. We once desired to rebel against God and do what we thought was best for us, but now as a born-again believers, we do what God desires. That is our desire. So the question for you is, is your life characterized by the underlying thought, what does God desire for me? What does God want me to do? How does God want me to live? How do I show my love for the Lord? Is that what your, is that the underlying thought, drive in your daily life? And we see Paul in Romans chapter 7 struggling with sin, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not want, do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So I'm not, we're not talking about perfectionism here. 
We're not talking about being perfect and not sinning, not ever blowing it, not ever losing it with your kids, not ever speeding, not ever having an immoral, selfish, self-absorbed, terrible thought. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's a, there's a desire, underlying desire to obey the Lord. Amen. And there's a struggle with sin. I have a, a buddy of mine I love dearly. He struggles with alcoholism, and he drinks a lot. And so uh, as we came back from overseas, I uh, wanted to help him. He's always been real receptive to me, and so I thought maybe I could help him, and we began to spend a little time together. And, and I said, just call me whenever you have a struggle. He would call me, and, and he'd be snockered. And I'd go, and I'd uh, pick him up, and I'd take him home. You know, it was late at night, wee hours in the morning, I'd take him home, put him to bed. And eventually I was like, you know what, buddy? I want to help you. You say you're a believer and you struggle with sin. We all struggle with it. This is your struggle. I have other struggles. I want to help you with this. But it got to the point where Romans chapter 7, verse 15, I didn't see that in his life. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And my buddy that I love so much, I began to see he, there wasn't any fight in him. He wasn't fighting against sin. He was wallowing in it. And so eventually I said, look, brother, you're not even, you done threw up the white flag. You've given up. You're not even fighting against sin. In fact, you love it. And that's an indication to me that you're not a believer. And the Bible says if you are a believer and you live like that, I should have nothing to do with you. So I distance myself from them. I can't help you anymore. If you're fighting against it, struggling with it, man, I'd be more willing to help you. But you say you're a believer, you're not even fighting. As believers, we have the fight in us. Because we desire to obey the Lord. Do we blow it? Do we give in? Do we, are we weak? Yeah. And we will be until Jesus comes back. Or we, we die and, and we're with Him in glory. But there's got to be a fight in us against sin because we desire to obey the Lord. Do you desire to obey the Lord? We see this first expression, this test. Do you, do you obey the Lord? Have you trusted Christ? And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, Only he who believes is obedient. Only he who is obedient believes. And we see examples of that in the New Testament. And you may be thinking of people. I think about Matthew the tax collector. Luke chapter 5, verse 27, 28. Our, our Lord says... Uh, it says, after he went out and, and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, Jesus said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Matthew, this self-absorbed Jew who's working for the oppressors, the Romans, he would take money from his own people. He would give the Romans their share. He would pocket the rest, right? And Jesus says, come follow me. So you see this effectual call. What did Matthew do? He obeyed and he did what Jesus said. And he followed. He trusted that Jesus was the Messiah. And he stopped his sinful life and he followed Christ. Or, or another tax collector, Zacchaeus. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to give his life as a ransom for many to give his life for Zacchaeus. Right? And after being told by Jesus that, that he was 
Jesus was going to Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus responded in this way, Luke chapter 19, verse 8 through 10. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. You know what the truth of the matter is? Most likely, Zacchaeus defrauded everybody. So what's he saying? The thing that was so important for him and important to him was his life. Guess what? Hunter, he says, take it. Take it. I don't want it. I want to give it back to everybody that I've ever taken from. Why? Because salvation had come to his home. I'm not living this life. I'm living a different life. Why? Because the Spirit of God had done His work in His life. Charles Spurgeon says, An unchanged life is a sign of an uncleansed heart. Have you ever been changed by the power of the Spirit? And just as a, a child, just as myself, I imitate my earthly father. The older I get, um, the, the more people say I look like my dad. And they say my dad looks like his dad. Just like a child imitates his father, so a child of God will imitate his heavenly father. We obey. That's what Christians do. We see that in the New Covenant as well. Luke chapter 6, verse 36, the, the Sermon on the Plain. Jesus says, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. We see that again in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. We should imitate the Father. Do you want to obey Him? Do you want to be like Him? Another way of asking that question, is your life steered by God's commands? It's, it's, when you traveled by ship, didn't have compass, didn't have GPS, didn't have all of those modern technologies. And so what they would do, they're traveling in a certain direction, they would fix their eyes on a star. Dallas, I should let you sh explain this. You fix it on a star and you head in that direction. Your direction is steered by the star. And you focused on the star and you head in that direction, keeping your eyes on the star. It steers you. God's word, his commands, they should steer our lives. Should you do this? Should you do that? What's the scripture say? Should I make this decision? Should I go here? Should I do that? And how should I respond? How should I handle this? What's the scripture say? Yeah, it should steer our lives. All throughout the day, we should be thinking, what does the Lord desire for me? Is your life steered by God's commands? Look at verse 5. We'll, we'll come back to verse 4 in just a second. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Verse 5 is saying the same thing it said in verse 3. You can have assurance that you're in fellowship with the Lord when loving God comes to fruition and obeying His Word. So he's saying the same thing just in a different way. And the love of God has been understood uh, different, differently in different ways. Is it, is it God's love for us? 
Is it just the love of God in like a general way? Or is it our love for God? I think it's our love for God. I think that's the context denotes that it that. As we grow in our obedience, our knowledge of God grows, our love deepens as well. It's perfected. Now, we have to be careful there. It doesn't mean that perfected doesn't mean that we never sin. It's not that's not what it's it can't refer to that because we have to this idea of perfected has to stand up against what John's already taught us in first in first John one, eight through ten, which says if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and make God to be a liar. So it can't be perfectionism, right? So this perfected love for God has to refer to this continuing state of growing and maturing, not necessarily like a final destination. It's perfected. It's We see this word perfected elsewhere. James chapter 2, verse 22. You see that faith was active uh, along with... Um, his works and faith was completed. That same word, perfected by his works. Same word there, perfected and completed. Translated different ways, but it's the same word. First John 4, 12, we see this word again. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Okay? It proves itself to be genuine. Yeah, he does love God. How do we know? Because he obeys, right? And that's the point, that people who do not keep the word of God cannot claim to love God or have the love of God in them. But we love God when we obey him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Cleon Rogers in his lexicon, he says, true love for God is expressed not in sentimental language or mystical experience, but in moral obedience. And I've done this several times. I have um, several people in my life that I love dearly that were, um, they weren't married and they were living together. And so I, I, I confronted them on this lifestyle saying, well, this, do you love the Lord? Oh, yeah, I love the Lord. Well, how much do you love the Lord? And I really love the Lord. When I, and I ask them, well, tell me about the last time you've been intimate with your partner. And they're kind of like, well, just think about that whole experience. Got visual things going on. Could you say, I'm really loving the Lord? I'm really worshiping the Lord here? I don't think so. That leads to the next point. The next point is, we know that we don't know God or have fellowship with Him if our lives are characterized by disobedience. Just the opposite. Verses, we'll look at verses 4 and 6. And I say characterize, that's important to understand because, we, again, we all live in, in this flesh. We live in an imperfect state. We're in, we're in a process of being sanctified, of being like the Lord. We don't preach perfectionism. That's not biblical. For those of us who are in Christ, our knowledge of God isn't complete. Our love for Him is still growing and is limited by our fleshly existence, Right? But in your nor is your normal is your normal right is the how you interact and live your life is it a life of disobedience? And Paul in, in the letter to the Ephesians chapter two verse two he says the lost those who don't know God are called children of disobedience. Is that you? 
So verses 3 and 5 teaches that those whose lives are characterized by obedience are the ones who have fellowship with God. They have assurance of salvation. But the children of disobedience should not have assurance. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. So this is the negative example, right, we said earlier, of someone who claims to know God but doesn't keep his commandments. They don't obey. I mean, how do you know that you don't know God if you claim to know him and live your life in total disobedience to the Lord? So the person here in verse 5, verse 3 and verse 5, they, they've walked the walk, but those here in verse 4, they just talk the talk. And most folks just talk the talk. I mean, think about here we live in the Bible Belt, and in, in our culture becoming more and more secular, and, and less and less people follow the Lord, love the Lord. But here in our, where we live, sometimes really young people that's in school or in college, they're corrupted by the world more so than established folks. But think about it. If you talked about your, with your, your colleagues, your neighbors, people in your family, and you ask them if they know the Lord, they would say, yeah. Of course. Of course. Of course I know the Lord. Of course I love the Lord. Are you a Christian? Most of them even say, yeah. Yeah, I'm Christian. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. That's the goal. But the truth of the matter is most folks' lives aren't characterized by obedience. Look at verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This, is, I think, is a negative example as well, I think. It's an example of someone who says, Oh, I abide in Christ. I abide in God. I'm resting in him. I'm united to him. But they, they're not living the way Jesus lived. And again, saying... James, if I say walking in the same way as Jesus walked, that doesn't mean that you call disciples to follow you, right? You do miracles and you go to a cross. I mean, the clear meaning of Scripture is what? No, we obey the Father. Right? That's the clear meaning of Scripture. Do you abide in Christ? Whoever says he abides in him, and these, these are synonyms. Abide in him, have fellowship with him, know him. These are all synonyms that about the same thing. Are you Christian? Do you follow Christ? Are you born again? Are you regenerate? Do you love Him? Right? It's another synonym. And so, do we seek to walk in the same way Jesus walked? And Jesus, again, before we answer, Jesus says in John 4, Speaking to the Samaritan woman, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Sometimes we don't really understand those phrases. My food, is, that's strange. Jesus said a lot of strange things. Well, what's, he, what's his point? Blake, all I want to do is, all I want to do is obey the Lord. That's, the, that's, what, that, that's what's most important in my life. Is, what, is obeying the Lord, giving him glory. Pleasing Him. That's what's most important. So by way of application today, just, is that you? 
And I've been asking those questions all along. Do you desire to obey the Lord? And I'm not saying, are you, are you still not a sorry, sinful, self-absorbed person? Because all of us, that, depending on the day, right, Miss Anita? I mean, depending on the day, we're like, oh, yeah, that's me today, right? That was me today. It was Jenny yesterday. No, I'm just kidding. It's Chris today, Stacy maybe Wednesday, Seth, it might be him tomorrow. We all have bad days. We get in the flesh and we just live in the flesh, right? It's what John was talking about confessing. We do a lot of confessing here and not enough because we all need to confess, right? But we don't want to confess our sin because we're just in the flesh and we sometimes for whatever reason this short amount of time we just loathe ourselves and we just want to be miserable. We choose to be miserable. It's like all I got to do is confess this, repent, and, and my day's going to be better. What do we do? Right? We have those days. We're not talking about perfectionism. I'm just saying, is, is your life generally, is your normal, is your normal, like, I just want to obey the Lord. Decisions you make, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you raise your kids, how you treat your spouse, how do you work, is your normal, like, yeah, I just want to obey the Lord in it. And there's a lot of a lot of things we we can talk about and wrestle with because there's some hard teachings in the scripture. And we had one last week. Y'all probably talked in your small group about about Jesus dying for the whole world. What does that mean exactly? How do we put it all together? Yeah, it's a hard thing. Like, I just really I don't know. I just really struggle with that. It's okay. Struggle with it. I struggle with it too. We can wrestle and, and disagree about a lot of things and have these conversations about hard truths in the scriptures and what we do with that. But it's pretty clear. You want to have assurance of your salvation, your normal has to be, I want to please the Lord. We don't do that perfectly. We get in the flesh and we have conflict with one another and we, you know, blow a gasket and have to go back and make that right. But generally, normally, is your life characterized by obedience? Is your life steered by God's commands? If, if so, you can have assurance. And that's what John is encouraging this church. All these false teachers. You can live however you want to live. You have this higher knowledge, blah, blah, blah. No. There's moral consequences to our decisions and how we live. Your life should be steered by God's commands. Jesus says, that my, the, my food is to do what my Father wants me to do. I, that's, that's what's important. Most important for me. It drives me. It's what motivates me. It's the purpose of my life. Are you fighting against sin? The man, I struggle with this. Some people say, I struggle with pornography. I struggle with lust. I struggle with lying. I struggle with being selfish. I struggle with anger. I struggle with anxiety. I don't trust God. We all have struggles. We all name them. We all have them. Some of them... We can have some in common with one another. Some of them are unique, but we all have struggles. But are you fighting against sin? Do you want to obey the Lord? Just by way of application, this is what you do. This is homework. And some of us are struggling with that. And we're going to have baptism on the 14th of August. We're really excited. we got some folks that are going to be baptized. They're born again. They've uh, repented and they've trusted Christ. And they want the church to know and they want the world to know. But there's some of us who are just struggling. Man, do I know the Lord? Have I repented? 
You know, we struggle with that. And, and, and this, I'll give you something to do, do a little assignment. If you're, if you're struggling, if you're not really sure, if you just, man, you battle with assurance and where you are with the Lord, ask your coworkers, your friends, your family members, ask them to. Do you think I live like a Christian? Just ask them. You might like what you hear. You might not like what you hear. But I think it'll be helpful. Because other people that see you, they see the real you. Ask your spouse. Ask your friend. Ask your classmate. Ask your coworker. You say, well, some of those jokers are lost. They don't know about what it means to be a Christian. Well, ask them. See what they say. You might be pleasantly surprised or you might be disappointed. But it might help you a little bit. I can't look into your heart. I don't know. The Lord, those, that's the Lord's business. He knows if you're born again or not. But if you have doubt, repeated doubt, why is that? Is it that you've never repented and trusted Christ's work on the cross as your own? Maybe you're dependent on your own goodness or you, who you are or what you do or what you don't do. You got a sin issue, you're looking at porn. You got a, a woman or a man on the side. Do you have a gambling problem? You have a lot of debt nobody knows about. Do you lie? Are you cheating at work? You cheating on your time card? You cheating on your taxes? There might be a reason why you have doubt. But we can't have assurance. God says if we repent, He'll forgive us. If we call on the name of the Lord, He'll save us. The Spirit that seals every believer bears witness with our spirit that we're His. And then Andrew, do you, do you live like a Christian, man? Do you live like a Christian? Again, we don't get into, well, if I do these certain things, that, may, that makes me a Christian. No. But for a Christian, we're going to live a certain way. We're making progress, Cadence. We're making progress. We're battling against sin. And if you say, you're one of those guys who, you know, we ask people, hey, how you doing? How, how's everything? And just in passing, we really want to have time. We're not sure. We say, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And if that's you, if you think really, really you're good, talk to me. Because that's not true of anybody. We're all jacked up, messed up, sinful people who are in the process of being made like Jesus. We've got a long way to go. But ask your... Ask your and what it may turn into is just a great opportunity to share the gospel. You can share about what we talked about here what we're studying and just have a conversation about the gospel. John, I, th I would encourage you to do that. You have lost people in your, in your office. Hey, I just want, y'all come in here. This is what the pastor talked about on Sunday. Do, I, do you think I'm a Christian? Do I live like a Christian? Tell me, tell me things that I do that, that aren't Christian-like. Yeah, you got to take one on the chin, but that ain't going to hurt you. It'd be good for you. A lot of those things, most of those things, guess what? Cindy, you already know them anyway. But hey, Lead in discussion. Oh, they're willing to let me say that about them. And they say, yeah, I need to hear that. I don't know. It's just an application point. I think it would be great.
for you to do that. I'd love to hear about it. Text me. Give me a call. Tell me about it. I think it'll lead into great conversation. And if you're really struggling, man, you're just, man, I'm in this continual cycle of doubt. I don't know if I'm saved or not. I'd love to talk to you through that as well. Dig into your life. See if there's unconfessed sin, if there's anything hidden there, anything that we need to talk about. Yeah. Worship team, come on up. Come on up. We're going to close, and I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing a song and sing us out of here. But that's our, that's our application point. But God wants us to know. He wants us to have assurance, and that's a wonderful thing. Blessed assurance. We got, that's what we ought to say. We should have prepared that. Blessed assurance. But we're not. We're going to sing something different. Let's pray. Stand with us. Let's pray. Okay? And we're going to sing, and we're going to be done. When we're done singing, they'll dismiss us. And Rodney will dismiss us, and then when we're done, if you have kids in children's church, go get them and then come back out here and we'll just chew the fat, rub elbows, and spend time together, okay? Let's pray. Father, you are good to us, and we're thankful for your word. Father, we need it. We need to study it. We need to meditate on it. Father, we need to, it to expose our sin and encourage us and challenge us, and we're thankful. We've been encouraged and challenged today. And you want us to have assurance. You want your church body, your family, your, your children to have assurance. And Father, I pray that you'll do a work in us. If there's any who's born again, but yet they're struggling because of unconfessed sin, maybe they've been cheating or lying or treating people terribly, or maybe they have some hidden sin that no one knows about but you, I pray that you'd break their heart. And Father, that you would grant them uh, repentance. Father, that you would give them the, the faith that they need to trust you with it and the consequences of it, of confessing it. And Father, there's, there's folks here who they're in sin and they're separated from you and they've never repented of their sin. They've never trusted Christ's work on the cross as their own. And they're separated from you and they're at enmity with you. And, and they're, they're objects of wrath. And when they breathe their last, which may be today, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow, maybe next year, when they breathe their last, they're going to be separated from you for all eternity. And that's what they deserve. That's what all of us deserve. But Father, I pray that you would allow the gospel message, that sweet message about Jesus and how he died for sinners and he paid this, the, the sin debt of sinners on the cross and how he was buried and he rose on the third day to defeat sin and death. Father, take that sweet gospel message and allow it to ring loud in their ears, whether they're children or students or adults. And Father, would you save them even now? Yes. And Father, if there's any lost person that leaves here today, I pray that tonight when they lay down in the darkness of their room, in the quietness of that room, I pray that that sweet gospel message yes. would ring loud in their ear. And God, you would be gracious to them and you would save sinners. Even tonight. Father, we do thank you that, that, that visitors are here. There are people that aren't a part of our church family that, that normally don't come. They're here today. Father, we know providentially you brought them here. And Lord, we, 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 our desire is that they've uh, experienced your mercy and grace through your church. And I pray that they will be encouraged uh, when they leave and challenged when they leave. And Father, I know there's some that are just struggling um, trying to find a church home. And Father, you want us to be a part of a, a local fellowship. And I pray that you would direct their steps, whether they're here or elsewhere. Direct their steps, they get plugged into a church. Father, help us to be the church that we should be. Give us grace. 
Father, for our team in, in Idaho, uh, give them grace. Use them in a mighty way. May every all six of them share the gospel repeatedly, clearly, and often this week. And may that church that they're helping be, be encouraged because of our work. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.